Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Thursday, November 28th, the morning after the Canucks have gone out and allowed a big lead to evaporate and suffered one of their most embarrassing losses of the season, one that's going to stick with them for a good long while, maybe the most embarrassing loss in several years, honestly, a game in which they have a 6-3 to lead in the third period and somehow blow it, falling 8-6 to against the Pittsburgh Penguins, allowing five straight goals. And, I mean, you can be mad after this one. I certainly would accept that. But just a comedy of errors into how this game came unglued. I was laughing, honestly, and that's partly because, as I told you earlier in the week, the Canucks have uh, not done me well by the prediction that I made on this program close to three weeks ago now. Somebody wrote in, asked me what's a reasonable expectation of how the Canucks will fare in the remaining schedule here in November. It was 12 games. I offered you 12 predictions on how things would go in those games uh, over the course of of the remainder of the November schedule, I have gotten every single one of those games wrong. So yes, I called for the Canucks to win last night's action, and as they had the lead in the third period, I thought finally my run of futility would come to an end. No, uh, the curse on my predictions is just so strong at the moment that Pittsburgh somehow found a way to scramble back in this one. I know that you don't necessarily care about how I predicted the stretch of games. To me, it's just a funny little detail in a you know run of painful results, really, for this team over these 12 games. you got to find your comedy somewhere. I'm laughing it up the fact that I can't predict a game right to save my life right now. If the Canucks go on to win in Edmonton this coming Saturday, I will go a uh, perfect 0 for 12 in my predictions. So looking forward to that. But uh, this is my first uh, time chatting with you since the Canucks played on Monday in Philadelphia. Uh promised you a post-gamer that night, but it just came down with a terrible migraine. And I've been house-sitting, pet-sitting, I should say, at a place without Wi-Fi for the last couple of days. So putting out the show has proven to be a little bit difficult for me at the moment. Sorry about that. I'm kind of glad, though, that I have the space of distance to look back because if I'd come to you on Monday night after the game against the Flyers, I would have said what I said on Twitter. The Canucks are a bad team. And maybe, maybe that was backed up by the fact that they were able to score six goals and still somehow lose last night's action. Maybe that is still correct. But what I would have said after Monday's result was that that's a game where Vancouver just fails to generate anything. They looked like a team that could not get a shot even, never mind a goal, to save their life. And, you know, uh, if you look back at the way the shot count worked out on Monday against the Philadelphia Flyers, 17 shots on goal for the Canucks over the entirety of the 60 minutes in that one. Six of those shots come from the defensive pairing of Jordy Ben and Troy Stetcher. So more than a full third of the Canucks shots on the night came from a defensive pair. In fact, Jordy Ben himself with five of those shots. So the rest of the Canucks roster only came up with 12 shots on the entire night over the course of 60 minutes. That's what, a shot every five minutes from a Canuck not named Jordy Ben? That's terrible. It was a brutal game to watch, just a depressing, 
dispiriting effort, however you want to describe it. Uh, it was the kind of game that made you sit up and realize maybe this team is not very good after all because they should not be coming unglued like this. And just, you know, John Shorthouse described it on the broadcast as a casual effort. No better way to describe what the Canucks did on Monday against the Flyers than that. It looked like they simply didn't care. They were just coasting out there. And and it's a shock because I did compliment what the team did on Saturday in that morning game against uh, the Washington Capitals. Did they win that game? Yes, they did. It came in the shootout. All of the goals came in the first period. It was a low-scoring affair. Again, a lack of an ability to generate offense. Only one goal actually scored in a quote-unquote 2-1 victory over the Caps on Saturday. But the reason that there are still bouquets to be thrown after that game, not only did you come up with a win over a contending team, a team that won the Cup two seasons ago, but you also... If you look at the heat map attached to that game and that effort, the way they poured on the pressure offensively and the way they allowed barely anything defensively looked like a team, okay, that is starting to figure it out. The heat map shows they're all red around the opposition goal and they're all blue around their own goal. That's what you want in a game like that. So people were being very, very uh, complimentary of Vancouver's defensive effort in that one but it showed that they were pushing play in the right direction in both ends is the takeaway message from the way the team played on Saturday. Monday was the exact opposite. It seemed like Philadelphia was walking in and taking whatever they wanted. You know, I'm no statistician. I'm not counting scoring chances out there, but just the eye test would reveal that Vancouver gave up roughly 20 at least high-danger scoring chances against Thatcher Demko, and they came up with nothing of their own. Like, absolutely zero. They got nothing generated against Carter Hart except for maybe the late stages of the third period where they thought they could tie it and decided to just pour it on all in a late spurt there. Otherwise, everything seemed impossible. The idea of just walking into a dangerous scoring area and uh, taking a shot on goal was not something that Vancouver could even consider. Meanwhile, they're giving up unbelievable chances left and right at the other end. That was Monday, and if I'd come to you yesterday, I would have told you this is a team that cannot score. And yet somehow, despite the fact that they look like they're doing the exact same thing for the entirety of the first period, Nikolai Goldobin is the only guy who can generate a shot on goal in the entirety of the opening 15 minutes. It looked like, you know, here we go again. Somehow they get a magic pep talk in the second intermission and come out like gangbusters for the second period against the Pittsburgh Penguins on Wednesday. Welcome back, Nikolai Goldobin, by the way. Good to see you. Happy to see you back here. Not necessarily happy to see uh, his call-up come at the expense of Sven Berchi because uh, subbing Louis Erickson out of the lineup for a winger that you can trust to play somewhere in the area of 10 minutes is not enough to fix this team's problems right now. They need more scoring help, and I know that you know, Travis Green would likely say, well, the problem wasn't scoring goals on Wednesday. It was allowing them. And yes, that's true. But I would say Vancouver's defensive problems right now go beyond their forwards. The reason that they lost that game was not their forwards. Okay, maybe it was a little bit. And we saw the best and worst of JT Miller over the course of the evening. His worst didn't really come to burn the Canucks in the end. But, uh, I mean... 
man, just a comedy of errors that went into the way the Canucks let this one slip away against the Penguins on Wednesday night, and I'll tell you more about it in just a second. While the Canucks were not able to deliver any victories in their two-game swing through Pennsylvania, I'll tell you what always delivers, and that's DoorDash. Treat yourself to the meal that you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code LOCKEDON. Listening on the go, if you can't visit DoorDash right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcasts.com slash offers. Okay, so that comedy of errors. Yes, sometimes you do just have to laugh at the misfortune of this club, and not just because you've predicted a certain result and the team goes uh, a different way 11 times in a row. I was laughing because they somehow took my stretch of wrong predictions and extended it another game uh, against all odds. But there were other reasons to laugh as well because, uh, you know, something that I talked about on the radio on Sportsnet 650 back in the summertime uh, with my friend Bick Nazar. Uh, Bick now, of course, one of the hosts of Canuck Central, and you can hear him from noon to 1 o'clock on the 650 airwaves with Scott Rintoul. Uh, Bick and I were talking about something called quantum hockey, essentially, Uh, because free agency is a time of infinite possibilities where there's all these different avenues that teams can go and one decision from one player to sign somewhere uh, creates an entire different reality for every other hockey player and there's just a million possibilities. Everything feels like it's open and there's all different ways that things can go. That's quantum hockey. Quantum hockey also applies, I guess, within uh, games on a game-to-game basis as well because there is very, very easily another reality where the Canucks go on to win this game by, I don't know, a 7-4 to score or something to that effect. The way this game came unglued was basically within a 25-second sequence in the third period. Now, they go to the power play because of a puck-over-the-glass delay-of-game penalty assessed to Chris Letang at 5-11 of the third. At this point, Vancouver has made it 6-3. to three. It looks like they've got the game well in hand. They're going to uh, another power play. The power play has worked for them on the night. They're clicking. They are feeling good. Everything's going well. It all changes right here. 25 to 30 seconds that determine this entire game. JT Miller takes a cross-ice feed on the man advantage, has a yawning cage to shoot at. Tristan Jerry Uh, wide open, and he rings it off the post. Ping, you can hear it right throughout the building. You can hear it all over the broadcast. Very loud hitting of the post. Within 15 seconds after he's hit the post, and it looks like the Canucks would have just made it 7-3 had JT Miller scored that goal. JT Miller, having not scored the goal, perhaps uh, gets some frustration out of his system by hooking Chad Ruedel, and that leads to a four-on-four sequence where I think it's eight seconds after the penalty on Ruedel. The penalty on uh, that JT Miller takes, hooking against Chad Ruedel, that sends Miller to the box and puts both teams at four-on-four, is taken at 6.08. At 6.16, eight seconds later, Jared McCann creates an opportunity that Dominic Cahoon converts on to start the comeback, and that is the beginning of the way this team comes unglued. 
Now the Penguins score at four on four. They go on to score on the power play when the penalty against them expires, and they're on the man advantage for just a minute. Evgeny Malkin and Jake Gensel took over this game, but really Malkin in particular was just kind of forcing this one along for the Penguins. He was putting in the kind of performance that an established star really can. He looked like a man taking on a team of boys on this evening. Malkin finishes the night with two goals, three assists for five points. Gensel, two and two for four. Spectacular uh, performances from both of those guys. Heck, Malkin had six shots on goal on the night, so a very impressive performance for him. But he he did. He looked like um, a man who has established himself in this league pushing off the uh, pressure of a team full of boys still at this point. And it is a team of boys. That's fine. They are not in the point in the development cycle that the Pittsburgh Penguins are. And th- and that's good. They still have plenty of time to uh, hit their peak. You know, the Penguins seem to be on the downslope. Didn't even make the playoffs last year. So things are not necessarily going great for Pittsburgh, but they still have the pieces to burn you when they play like this. Thatcher Demko between the pipes for Vancouver winds up taking the loss. Haven't even talked about him on the night. And let's circle back to that goal that made it six to four on at four on four, you know, that let the Penguins up off the mat after Gensel scored with uh, 61 seconds gone in the third period. That's what really let them off the mat. But then Vancouver pushed back on that. They went from a 4-3 game to a 6-3 game almost instantaneously, and it was more greatness from JT Miller once again, converting on a bit of a bobbler, had a weird puck come to him off a bounce off the end boards, and then he just lobbed it into the net, a bouncing puck that somehow beat Tristan Jerry, but that's neither here nor there. Let's talk about the way that 6-4 goal beat Thatcher Demko. And the way it happened is that Demko didn't even have a chance. I went back to check multiple times to make sure that it was not my boy Troy Stetcher getting burned on this one because Travis Green did switch up the D pairings earlier in this road trip. He switched them back immediately afterwards after they got burned horribly against the Dallas Stars uh, in the first game of this six-game roadie. But he switched them up again for last night's action in Pittsburgh. Stetcher started in the game with Alex Edler away from his typical partner, Jordy Ben. So I see Jordy Ben getting burned on a goal and a guy wearing 50 or at least a two-digit number with five being the starting number piling into the net and destroying Thatcher Demko. Had to check multiple times. No, it was not Troy Stetcher. And I should have been able to tell just from stature because <sighs> Troy Stetcher and Tyler Meyer are significantly different as far as guys uh, with heights go. But uh, the way that goal was scored, Ben gets beat on the near side as the uh, offensive player for the Penguins, who I guess in this case was Jared McCann, uh, is able to dance around him and steal body position at the last minute. The puck then goes cross-crease to a feed uh, for the goal scorer, who, as I mentioned, was Dominic Cahoon. And Cahoon has the entire net to shoot at with no goalie even trying to stop him because a sliding Tyler Myers, who's gone down to do that move that defensemen sometimes do, where they're like on one knee with one skate still flat and the other one like the tip of their toe sliding, waving their stick around. This is four-on-four hockey. This is not penalty-killing stuff from Tyler Myers, but he's decided to do the one-knee slide 
waving the stick around trying to uh, get into lanes, I guess, or whatever his plan was. It didn't pan out at all because what he did was slide backwards into the crease of his own netminder, effectively hip-checking Thatcher Demko and taking the goalie out of the play after he'd already removed himself from the play. So not a great play right there for Tyler Myers. That is ultimately the reason why that goal is scored eight seconds after JT Miller takes the penalty to take the Canucks off the power play some 15 seconds after Miller hit the post and could have made it a 7-3 to game at the time. It's fine lines, not to uh, you know quote a line from uh, the Whitecaps and what we were subjected to for years there uh, as the Whitecaps just continued to insist that you know they, they, things are going great. No, they are not going great here in Vancouver, not for the Canucks, uh, not for really any of our sports teams in the city at all. That's another story, but it is sometimes fine lines between winning and losing. I have to think about the reality where JT Miller doesn't hit the post, scores that goal, and how radically different the rest of the outcome of this game happens to be. But not a good play there at all from Tyler Myers, who's really fallen off here in the second month of the first year of a lengthy contract here. And... um, you know, I, I was pleasantly surprised by what Myers was able to do here in Vancouver over the course of October. I was pleasantly surprised by a number of Canucks, but he is one where the drop-off has been notable. And when you think about how much that pairing of Myers and Edler was powering the team's success in the early going of the season, I think that speaks to why the team is falling off right now as well. Curious that it was Thatcher Demko getting the start here, given, I mean, not that he was bad, against the Philadelphia Flyers on Monday. In fact, that's probably why he got the start, was that Demko was actually great in a game that the Canucks lost 2-1. to one. He played very, very well against Philadelphia. The score would have been significantly worse without him. On a night like this, however, you suddenly find yourself wondering, speaking of quantum what-ifs and different realities, how different might this game have been if it was Jacob Marsham between the crease for the Canucks against the Pittsburgh Penguins on Wednesday? Because... Markstrom was dynamite, crack-a-lackin' in his last two appearances for the team, came off of his worst appearance uh, this season, basically, the game in Dallas, and turned in two remarkable performances for the only two wins of this road trip right now. So, uh, you know, where is he, I guess, is the question right now. Thatcher Demko, uh, no offense, but it's weird that Markstrom would put on an unbelievable performance like he did against the Washington Capitals where he was basically the reason they won the game took over uh between the pipes particularly in the shootout nothing was going to beat him there uh and he comes off his best performance of the year only to not play for two games straight might not play for a whole week as a result of this as I will imagine it will be Jacob Markstrom who does play against the Edmonton Oilers come Saturday night in Edmonton but I don't know. I feel like you've lost some momentum that the guy who is clearly your your A guy, your starter this season, is not able to uh, keep the momentum going necessarily after two of his strongest games in a good long while. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me to ice your starting goalie uh, when he is coming off a red hot performance and going to the backup twice in a row. And that's nothing against Thatcher Demko. Though he didn't necessarily play great tonight. Not a, not a ton of guys did, I guess, in a game where 
The team surrenders eight, and six of them come in the third period. Just uh, an abysmal performance. And part of the problem continues to be, look, I'm happy to see Nikolai Goldobin back in the lineup. I'm happy to see him get another shot at the NHL level. I do believe that Nikolai Goldobin has proven chemistry with Elias Pettersson. That Goldobin on left wing, Pettersson at center, and Besser on right wing has the potential to be a very strong line. We didn't get to see it last night. We haven't gotten to see it at all. Uh, that is the best spot for Nikolai Goldobin is to keep that Pedersen line intact with Besser, keep the Pedersen-Besser duo going, and have Goldobin be the third man on it because he's a good playmaker and his passing will open those guys up. He's not JT Miller good, but part of the reason that Miller works as well as he does is that he does play kind of a similar playmaking game to Nikolai Goldobin. It is an extension of what worked about that line. If you want to use Miller down your lineup in other places, do that. Don't give us Miller, Pedersen, Goldobin for a short stretch and then shuffle it up again. They shuffled the lines up something serious tonight, did Travis Green. And, maybe I mean, that's proven to be a problem right now, too. There's no consistency. Guys can't get anything going. Lost in all of the complaints about the game and how it went down in the end is that we got another fantastic performance from Adam Gaudet as well. Two goals on the night. Both of them real nice, to be perfectly honest. But you've got a third line that you don't trust to play again. Tyler Gravak still playing, you know? That's a problem to me. You've got four centers you can roll with. Even even if you're, like, by putting Gravak in the lineup, you are essentially conceding that you're not going to play a game with four centers anyways because Gravak, what? Played 524 last night, but has played less than three minutes quite a few times over the course of this road trip. <sighs> I would rather that you dress three centers and nine wingers in that situation. Like, doesn't that make more sense to just give yourself another winger option? And you know you're going to play JT Miller at center anyways, or you can. You at least have that possibility. Like, I, I just think Green is blowing it with the way he's building out the roster right now. Okay, yes, you called up a winger that allowed you to switch Louis Erickson out of the lineup. Great. The fact that you even think Louis Erickson is a better line, a lineup option than Sven Berchi in the first place is itself an enormous problem. But, I mean, that's neither here nor there. The real issue is you still have three players that you don't trust to play. Zach McEwen started on the fourth line. Wound up playing close to 11 and a half minutes. In fact, 11.32 on the evening. So he moved up as Nikolai Goldobin took a seat on the bench after a certain point. But Goldobin, you know, when you look at his underlying numbers and what he was able to do at 5-on-5 five five on the night, put up the exact sort of stat line, the exact same stat line as Bo Horvat. And one of those guys was allowed to play all night, and one of them only played 8.37. Granted, Horvat got a assist on the evening, but I don't know. It's just something about that doesn't sit quite right to me, that this is somehow pinned on the winger that you just don't trust to play. Well, you didn't play him, and he didn't hurt you. He ended the night with an even stat line. I don't know. I feel like I've planted my flag on this podcast over the course of the season that I am a Sven Berchi guy, and I want Sven Berchi to get another look and succeed and be a part of this lineup when it, things are going well. It doesn't have to be Sven Berchi. It can be Nikolai Goldobin. It could be Reed Boucher. It should be more than one guy, especially when you're missing as many bodies as you are 
right now. This team, yes, scored six goals on the night against Pittsburgh, but still is having huge problems generating anything. Shots. It's as simple as generating shots. And I know that Goldobin is more of a passer than a shooter in his offensive style, but he's at least putting guys in situations where they can take shots. When Vancouver was successful early in the season, when everything was going right for the Canucks, they were often winning the possession battle. They were winning the shot battle. They were, you know, they were putting pucks on net. They were controlling play. And even in the games where they weren't winning the shot battle, they were still putting up somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 35, 37 shots, and were just surrendering maybe 40 in the process as well. They were shooting a lot when things were going well for them. Right now, they have had a hard time generating anything on that front. When you combine the two Pennsylvania games, two games, 120 minutes, only 39 shots on goal, 17 against the Flyers, 22 against the Penguins. That is your key problem right there. And I guess, you know, you can say that the defense was an issue as well on uh, Wednesday night against the Pens, but you're not allowing those goals to go in if you're spending more time in the offensive zone and time spent in the offensive zone would be reflected on the shot clock, would be reflected on the heat map. Heat map was awful against the Flyers. Shot clock was worse. 40 shots for the Penguins last night, 22 for the Canucks. Not enough offensive players in the mix to help fix the problem. A huge issue has been the fact that you're putting your Zach McEwens up there on the top line with Bo Horvat and telling Bo to go make the most of the new trash winger you've offered him. No disrespect to Zach McEwen, but he's certainly a player who can help out lower on the food chain, lower in the pecking order. Third, fourth line, absolutely got no problem with him there. Should not be spending time, significant time, on a very important road trip on what is nominally your first line when you put your lines out over the board. Playing with your captain, playing with one of your most important players who you're trying to get going again at 5-on-5. McEwen simply does not have the foot speed to do that necessarily. But disappointing night for Jake Vertanen as well. Jake uh, seemed to come alive, was a big part of why the team was able to rattle off three goals in the middle frame and come into the third period up 4-2, to two. but I guess he was a big reason why the Pens were able to storm back as well because that seems to be the way it goes with Vertanen at the moment. Jake giveth, then Jake taketh away. He'll make an outstanding offensive play, which is good, and then he'll be weak on the back check, which is bad because uh, an assist on Pedersen's goal, got a goal of his own in the middle frame. Vertanen still finishes a minus two on the night, on a night where he was part of two even-strength goals. That is not good. And, you know, he seemed extra fired up to try and win the war between which was the better of those two picks for Tannen and Jared McCann, those two guys who came into the league together at the same time, one of whom was traded away for being too much of a wild boy, too too unprofessional, too into the party culture, another who has all those same strikes against him still to this day, as recently as this past training camp and is still here. Well, McCann might not have won the war on the stat battle, but his team 
did on the scoreboard. That'll do it for us here today. Do want to remind you, as always, that if you want to help support the program, you can do so by rating and reviewing it wherever you happen to find it. If you leave us a little review on uh, the Apple Podcasts app, I appreciate it. It gives us a huge bump in the algorithms uh, there to help new listeners find the show. And it's uh, it's just a nice thing. You know, the ladies from Puck Bunnies recently described it as free therapy. That's exactly what it is. Gets my uh, my happiness chemical flowing again, reading people write nice things about me and uh, the process of listening to this show. Speaking of this show, apologies that I missed a couple days here earlier in the week, but unlike my American compatriots, I am not shutting down heading into the weekend for Thanksgiving. We are going to keep this train rolling. Got another show coming your way tomorrow. Might have one Saturday morning, which will be uh, more of a general talk and not really a a game preview of the Oilers. Who knows, actually, might preview the Oilers game with an Oilers guest. I'm not sure yet. Definitely have some guests coming in the next couple days is what I'm trying to say. And I will have a full game breakdown that will come out on Saturday night into Sunday morning to walk you through exactly what happened with the Oilers and the Canucks on Hockey Night in Canada. Until then, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.